August 11th, 2023. Four lines from the top of the Amud. We're continuing and hopefully finishing the discussion of this Mishnah, which we had on Daf Lamed Vav Amud Bet. The Mishnah detailed and listed many circumstances, situations, which according to the Torah are permitted to do on Shabbat and Yom Tov, according to the Hachamim, for one reason or another. And we've been understanding what the uh, impetus, what the reasoning for the Hachamim was in uh, inspiring them to say that these actions are forbidden. And in turn, some of the details with regards to those actions. So says the Gemara in the last of that list, Ve'eluhen mishum mitzvah, if you recall the Mishnah, and we'll come back to this very briefly, split it into three. There was Shevut, there are circumstances that have no mitzvah associated with them, and the rabbis say you can't do, they can't climb on, uh, on a tree, you can't uh, ride on an animal, and so forth. Then there were cases of Reshut, uh, the quasi mitzvot, they're in between mitzvah and reshut, and, uh, or mitzvah and shivut, and uh, we call them reshut, for example, judgment on Shabbat, or getting engaged on Shabbat, or halitza and yibum, and those sorts of things. And then the last part is, these are objective mitzvot, and nonetheless, they're all forbidden. What are the objective ve'elohen mishum mitzvah? Lo makdishin, you're not allowed to declare something hekdesh, take an item, an animal, sanctify it for the mikdash. You're not allowed to uh, evaluate or rather place the evaluation of another person or yourself upon yourself. Uh, the Torah, as I mentioned in Sefer Vayikram, Peter Kapsayim describes the different arachin. We have a full masechet called masechet arachin. If I say the value of that person is upon me, there's a particular and specific destined amount, or predestined amount rather, um, as to how much I have to pay in such a circumstance. You can't do that on Shabbat. Who are you paying it to? You're paying it to the Mikdash. Velo maharimin, herim is similar in that respect to hekdesh. It's a different way of st- stating it. It's uh, some specifically different details with regard to the obligation of an item or money to the Mikdash. But those are the three circumstances that the Mishnah told us those are mitzvah and nonetheless prohibited on Shabbat. What's, uh, what's the restriction? Why do the rabbis say these are all asur? Gezerah says the Gemara, just four words in defining it. Mishum mekah umemkar. Mekah lakachad means to take, memkar means to sell. Mechira, the give and take, the commercial activity. That's the reason why these three circumstances are asur because... Note the next word, they appear to be commercial activity. They're not per se commercial activity. There's no transaction. There's no uh, interaction between myself and another. I'm just donating. I'm dedicating this to the mikdash. But it appears as if it's mekah humemkar, and as a result, it's forbidden. Hold up a second. Mekah humemkar, is that one of the 39 melachot? I know it's the bare necessity and vision that we have of Shabbat. We don't work on Shabbat. We're not involved in commercial activity. Is that one of the 39 melachot? Is making a transaction asur from the Torah? If it is, then I understand the restriction. The rabbis say that's asur from the Torah. We're going to build a gate around it that uh, furthermore, you can't do something that looks like it. Alternatively, if mekah umemkar at its core is only rabbinically prohibited, this would be considered a gezera gate for a gate. Well, let's take a look at a famous Rashi. Rashi writes this in several places, but over here as well, about eight nine line, eight lines from the top of the Amud, mishum mekah umemkar says Rashi umemkar damu. When you do any of these three actions, dedicating money or an object to the mikdash, it appears to be, it's similar to mekah memkar, again, business. Shemosi mirshuto tekdesh, because effectively what you're doing is taking from your domain and placing it into the domain of kodesh, of the mikdash. 
Now says Rashi, Umekah Umemkar Asur Minha Mikra. Mekah Menkar is Asur from the Mikra, from the Pasuk. What Pasuk? He cites a Pasuk from Sefer Yeshaya, which says that you're not involved in speech or activity of Hafatsecha, of your possessions. The understanding in turn is business activities. Now, we'll read in a moment that it appears clear, although there's a debate, that this interpretation of Rashi, although it's a pasuk in Yeshaya, it's not in Hamisha Humshei Torah, it's not in the, the Torah per se, it's in Nevi'im, nonetheless, Rashi seems to be reading this as a biblical violation, because he's really addressing why isn't this a gate for a gate, a gezerah l'gezerah. His answer is, this is Asur from the Mikra. Business is Asur from Mimsoh Havsechavidabedavar, biblically binding. The rabbis in turn say, if there's anything that looks like it, it's also Asur. Go ahead. Uh, a fascinating question. Says Jeffrey, if it's actually binding and Asur from the Torah, and by the way, maybe according to this approach you wouldn't, says Jeffrey, he knows that the Gemara, Masechet Shabbat, we practice it all the time. The way the rabbis understand that Gemara is that if it's Dibur Shel Mitzvah, if it's Siddakah and Shabbat, you're allowed, we do drives, we do Mishaberach at the Sefer, because we understand it as, quote unquote, a loophole of the rabbis in their own restriction. If ultimately speaking it's Asur from the Torah, then how are we permitting that? The answer nonetheless is that when you make that commitment, it's not the same binding nature as Hekdesh or as a full business transaction. A full business transaction means something went out of my hand and into your hand. When I uh, am Makdish, I'm going to give. I'm going to give. So again, I'm going to give already lowers it. That's, that's another one of the vantage points, which makes you wonder, for good reason, what if, full class about this, you know, what happens if I leave open my website or my uh, whatever, and I accept credit cards. Credit cards is not the money going into my account, but credit card is the obligation in turn. Would that be permitted? The, the classic example is 150 plus years ago, there was tissue bought about this. They had vending machines in different Eastern European villages and cities and things of that sort. In that circumstance, I'm not per se putting anything into my, my pocket. Fascinatingly, before credit cards, there's actually money going into the machine. Could it and should it be permitted? And there is permissibility, again, even if I understand notwithstanding this approach, although we assume, generally speaking, it's only rabbinic in nature. Yes, Jesse. Interesting. If, says Jesse, well, we had, no, I'll tell you the answer to that. That was for Sorech Yom Tov would over. In other words, you're saying Gezerah, because ultimately speaking, they weren't handing money, right? But you weren't allowed. You weren't supposed to be. So you're saying Gezerah, they might hand it over. I gotcha. But ultimately speaking, for Tzorech Yom Tov, it seems clear the Hachamim waived it in such a situation. Let's add to it that effectively we assume Mecca Hamem Kars on the Midr That's why if you give to Roman to Kohen Yom Tov, it's good. It It works. Of uh, similar, I don't know if that's transactional, that's like matana, that gets into that conversation which we discussed at great length for good reason because it's very related to this. But yeah, in other words, there's a lot of vagueness about all this. The Gemara never heads on addresses. What's wrong with Mecca Hamimkar? But we do assume, like the second approach of Rashi, or even this first, that even though he says it's from Mikra, he might not be saying it's biblical in nature. But there is such a notion. The second, go ahead, please. Rashi's point is that it's from Mikra, but we don't learn how the Chafa 
So what is he saying? Really so the Gemara at the end of great question, great question. Yes, along those lines, the Gemara. So Jesse's question is: Rashi says it's from Mikra. Then he cites a pasuk from Navi. We don't learn halachot from Navi. The Gemara at the end of Masechet Makot makes a similar point. You'll find this in several places in the Gemara. But over there, the Gemara says we're not learning halachot from a pasuk in Navi. The Gemara's answer invariably is. The Nevi'im were bringing forth something they knew with tradition. In other words, this wasn't per se the Navi speaking a new law. It was the Navi speaking a law that was accepted and embraced by all and then just spelling it out. Any time, and it's rare, but that the Hachamim find an actual halakha from the words of the Navi, that's generally speaking how they do it. They don't do it that way by Kavod and Onik Shabbat, interestingly. When it comes to the activities before and on Shabbat that we do traditionally, Harambam's words are they're from Divrin Nevi'im. Uh, they're binding from the prophets, not per se some sort of biblical nature. Okay, anyway, but uh, important uh, questions and conversations. Continues Rashi, and this is the real, this is the general approach we have to why Mekah Humemkar business is Asur on Shabbat. Iname, Mekah Humemkar Ate Lide Ketiva Shetare Mechira. Says Rashi, alternatively, the issue with Mekah Humemkar is a rabbinic issue. It's a restriction so that you don't come to write the receipt or to write the document for the binding nature of the deal that you're making. Now, Kitiva, of course, this is an isur from the Torah, but it means Mekah Humemkar fundamentally is only rabbinic in nature. And the reason I returned to Jeffrey and Jesse's conversation was the first approach in Rashi, this is a technical point in parentheses, very briefly, actually stating that it's asur from the Torah or is it only rabbinic in nature, the fact that his ordering went, it's asur from the Torah or maybe it's only rabbinic, and then I have a problem with it. The ordering makes us believe that even his first approach was rabbinic in nature. Just something to be, keep in mind. Anyway, so Rashi then gave two approaches. Either Mekahumemkargim. Why are we learning this in our Gemara? Because the Gemara said Makdishin, Maharimin, Maarichin, as well as Asur, Mishum Mekahumemkar. Who said Mekahumemkar is Asur? First approach in Rashi, a Pasuk in Nevim. Second approach in Rashi, Kitivan. Now questions Rashi. What I told you we're going to have to question is if the whole thing is a restriction in the first place, what we call a Gezera, because you it might come to writing, so you're telling me you might come to writing, that's why you don't do business. And furthermore, this isn't even business, but it looks like business when I do any of these actions. That's what we call a gezerah legzerah. We don't do such a thing. Vim tomar havyala gezerah legzerah answers Rashi, as I told you as well. We invariably answer this sort of question always. Kula hada gezerahi. It's all one gate. It's all one restriction. It sounds like two business because you might come to writing this because it might look like business. No, we imagine it as at the time, in the moment when the rabbi said no business activity because you might come to write. They furthermore said and no hikdish and no arachin and no haramim. Okay, that's what we have in our gemara. Why? But Lidvar Mitzvah, we permit it. Again, provided that, it happens to all be taken care of. I mean, I'll just be clear about this, but you know, it's a full class. But provided that, it's rabbinic in nature, which is the second approach. So the rabbis are saying, but we loophole it in the circumstance of Mitzvah. That's clear. The Gemara says that. Um, even if it's biblical in nature, what I'm telling you is it's still not the same thing. It's not transaction. You're saying because there's a fear of writing it down, but there's a fear of writing it down in the business situation when they were in that circumstance. If we say, Kula hada we might add these things as well. If the rabbis themselves, 
I'm going to give them benefit of the doubt here, you know, with the positive motives said, but this was never included. So then it was never included. Um, you know, okay, so that's what we have in the Gemara. Now the Gemara uh, goes on to detail really the last in the Mishnah. You're not allowed to take... So the marriage, the Gemara said, was uh, maybe because of the Shetar Ketubah, which is absolutely necessary. Okay, so because you have to write a Shetar Ketubah for marriage... Do you need to write when the person gives the donation? No. no. That's the Hiluk. That's, that, that would have to be the Hiluk. In other words, Jared's bringing us back to the earlier segment of the Gemara when the Gemara said all these things, including uh, Kiddushin, <coughs> not marriage, but engagement, are Asur. And Rashi explained because of the Shetar Ketubah. He says there's a fear of writing over there as well. And it's a mitzvah as well and all that sort of business. I will remind you, Rabbi Tam did yeah, permit Ramah, etc. Yeah. 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 Non Jews. Amiral Lenochri, it's a shivut, it's already to begin with. Yeah. That's, that's the way it goes. But again, I do return to in the context of this, because that's what Jared's pushing me on, is if permitting it for mitzvah, tzedakah, whatever, so then how come we don't permit those other things of mitzvah? That was exactly what Rabbeinu Tam was doing. That's exactly his issue. But again, that was the whole Rabbeinu Tam thing. Rabbeinu Tam said, if it's a mitzvah, yeah, we are going, the rabbis did permit it. And, and I say very clearly, until the days of Ramar, Moshe Israelis, there were, under pressing circumstances, people getting married on Shabbat. I didn't read the full Teshubah, but yesterday, after the class, I was trying to remind myself, there's articles written about the Kiddushin on Shabbat, so I wanted to, to refresh myself. What I did see is that most recently, there was the following fascinating question. I don't know the punchline, but it's a fascinating question. There was a marriage on a Thursday night in Lakewood, a few years ago. And it turned out the ring that was given was the wrong ring. It was a ring of not, not belonging to the husband. On Shabbat, they did, on Friday night, they did effectively, if I remember the, t- the question properly, not a Kiddushin in that respect, but they did the other form of Kiddushin, Kiddushin Biyah, they commenced the, the marriage in a marital relations fashion. Now, was that, you know, in other words, what's the status and what's the stature of their relationship? Are they engaged? Are they not engaged in the marriage? That's a fascinating question because technically speaking, Rabbeinu Tam's opinion is here. The Ashkenazim historically have such an approach, even though we tell them not to in today's day and age, they'd have to read it through. I'd imagine they allowed for them to be together and all that sort of business for this reason because under extenuated, that's... By the way, that's a halachic methodological type of point. Whenever you have these, quote, minority or put aside opinions, when do they come back into play? In the pressing certain circumstances. You do. Uh, Syrians, Ashkenazim with a ring, some Syrians with a ring as well. Yes, exactly right. Exactly right. Is there any case of, let's say, for example, where they allow someone to give a get on Shabbat? The only, it's an interesting question. The only circumstance I know of in Shulchan Aruch is to buy a plot of land in Israel. He permits to have a, to, to have it done by non-Jew, etc. And, and, and for the mitzvah of Yeshuv Haaretz. For Gitin, uh, you'd imagine we would extend it further, but I don't think the poskim do it. I don't think Shulchan Aruch does it that way. The famous exception, I know it's a little scary, no, it's a woman's security. It's not to bring the woman, it's the woman's, the woman's freedom. Uh, uh, not that I know of. Um, you see, there is, a, there is a difference over there, by the way, because you could have written the get beforehand. You just need, a, you just need to get, get it across on Shabbat as opposed to writing it. The non-Jew says, I'll sell you the land. You jump on it then. 
All right, says the Gemara onward. Um, vil, uh, again, we said the next line in the Mishnah is, Lomagbihin Tirumot Ma'asrot, Tiruma, which is given to the Kohen, Ma'aserishon, which is given to the Levi. Neither one of which, says the Mishnah, are permitted on Shabbat or Yom Topeshita, says the Gemara. This is simple. Uh, why would you have assumed differently? Once you told me, I guess the easiest way to learn this is once you told me those other actions are prohibited because it appears wrong, either because of or alternatively you have what's called tikkun keli, you're fixing something, why should this be any different? Ultimately speaking, this action appears wrong. It is to the casual onlooker the wrong action which looks like you're fixing something in the wrong way, answers the Gemara, and, and as a result it should go without stating, Tane Rav Yosef the suggestion of the Gemara is, the suggestion of Rav Yosef is, um, the, the particular circumstances are even if, I repeat, even if the person who's taking the Turumah, Ma'aseh, giving it directly to the Kohen, to the Levi, immediately, on the day of taking it, and as a result, it doesn't look like fixing per se. I took it and I'm giving a present to my friend, the dwak, the gindi, the towel. Right, I'm going and I'm giving it to them as a present. It doesn't appear as if I'm fixing my produce as much as I'm giving it. If I fixed, fixed it, put it on the side, it looks like a fixing activity. Alternatively, if I took it and then I gave it to them, maybe that would... Okay, no pun intended. Maybe that would fix the situation, make the situation better. It would make it that it no longer looks like an inappropriate activity. Ultimately speaking, you're not actually fixing an item in a biblical sense. It's a rabbinic violation, restriction. It looks like fixing over here. Maybe that should then be permitted. That's the Hidush of our Mishnah. Even though you're giving it to the Kohen, the Levi, Bobayom, it's still as what says the Gemara, you should know, sometimes it's permitted. Sometimes it's permitted to take These words, this restriction is binding and true on fruits that were established as what's called tevil. Tevil is the state of being during which the produce is obligated in Turumah Ma'asir. We've talked about this a hundred times. It means when you finish the process, you did miruach, you brought it into the Riyat Peneha Habayit, whatever. When you got to the final stage, that's called tevil until you take it. Now, if they were established as such, before Yom Tov, before Yom Tov, I look at these fruits, I have to take Tirumot Ma'asrot from them. Why? Because I'm up to that stage. Then you can't take it on Shabbat or Yom Tov. Aval, pered tevile, ha'idna, however, ha'idna means now, if there are fruits, vegetables, produce, which becomes tevil now on Shabbat, means I didn't have the opportunity, the possibility before Yom Tov. You're not going to turn to me and say, oh, you should have done it beforehand. And it's food I want to eat on the holiday, then it's permitted. What type of circumstance? You're not working your field on Yom Tov. Kigon Isa le'afrushe mina hala. For example, Isa, dough. When you have dough, 43, there's a particular measurement, 43 and a fifth betzim of, of, of the dough, needs to have a hafrashat hala, needs to have, the Torah tells us about it in parashat shelach, needs to have a separation from it, which is, uh, well, to a certain extent sanctified. If you need to do hafrashat hala on Yom Tov, because you're baking, your wife's baking, someone's baking the bread, and you have the right measurement which obligates you in doing so, in that circumstance, you can and must do it on Yom Tov. But I thought you said you're not allowed to do it on Yom Tov. That's when you could have done it beforehand. In this circumstance, you're making the dough on Yom Tov for fresh bread, permitted to do so, mafreshinan, you can separate the yahavinan, and once upon a time you gave it, yahiv means to give, 
There's a nice musar about that. Ahava, have, it means to give. Love is the act oftentimes of giving. Yahavinan, we give. Anan yahavinan, la kohen, you give it to the kohen. Which means, say again, to put it all together, you can't give tirumah ma'asir, even if boba yom, you're giving it to the kohen, to the levi. However, if it's obligated, became tevil on, on yom tob, um, you can and should be giving it to the kohen. For example, by the isa vahanim. Okay, so that's, that's the conclusion of that. Now concludes the Gemara, this whole conversation for all intents and purposes, and it says, we had three segments in the Mishnah. Talked about at the beginning of the class today, we talked about it yesterday, we talked about it beforehand. The three segments, we had Shevut in the Mishnah, no mitzvah association. Reshut, a mitzvah association, but not obligatory in the full sense. And then mitzvah, the final part of the Mishnah, absolute obligation. This question's the Gemara, very basic question, we kind of assumed it throughout, but the Gemara says it explicitly, Hane, these, Mishum Reshut Ika, Mishum Shevut Leka, Hane, Mishum Mitzvah Ika, Mishum Shevut Leka, Ika means there is, yes, leka means there's not. Questions that come out of those last two segments of the Mishnah. You called one reshut, you called one mitzvah. Aren't those shivut at their core? They're rabbinically prohibited. The word shivut means to rest. Rabbinically speaking, anytime we refer to on Shabbat or Yom Tov, a rabbinic violation or restriction, we call it a shivut. So the Mishnah is a little bit funny. It starts off and says, these are shivut on Yom Tov and Shabbat. And then it continues and it says, and these are reshut. And then it says, and these are mitzvah. They're all reshut, are they not? Says the Gemara, yeah, yeah, we meant that all along. Amar b'itzhak, lami ba'aya kamar. Lami ba'aya means, mi ba'aya means sarikh. It didn't need to be stated. Lami ba'aya shivut geredata de'asur. It goes without saying that, uh, stating that the first segment of the Mishnah, the climbing the tree, the going on the animal, those are just shivut. Of course those are asur. You're not even associated, affiliated with a mitzvah. You want to do that? Well, for your own benefit, for your own enjoyment? Asur. The second segment of the Mishnah is, you want to be a judge? You want to do uh, engagement? That too is asur, even though you're touching on mitzvah. And then lastly says the Mishnah, Even the last segment was fully obligatory, that too is asur. In other words, the Gemara is just fleshing out for us just articulating the way the Mishnah is structured. The Mishnah has a specific structure. Starts with no association to mitzvah, then a little, and then full. And it's telling you not only this, but even that, and even that. That's the lo ba'aya. It goes without stating. And that's what we have then in the discussion in the Gemara until now. Now the Gemara, deliberate question? Yeah, all of these mitzvah and the that we're talking about, it can all be done at a later time. And then we learned from the Gemara earlier that something can be done tomorrow, we do it tomorrow. We don't do it on Yom Tov, because we do it tomorrow. So why would we have thought Kiddushin would be allowed now? All of these... Well, it's interesting you say that even about Kiddushin. Kiddushin is the one that we kind of don't say. We say, We always say, you do it right away because you might lose the girl. Okay, so, so the other ones. You know, I, I could kind of come up with that on a bunch of them. The dean, it's a, judge, it's a judgment case. You're going to torture this person? He needs to deal with this? I'm not certain you could easily state that about most of them. Some of them you could, and ultimately speaking, that was kind of the last statement in the Gemara when it came to Trumot and Ma'asrot. If you couldn't do it beforehand, if you won't be able to do it tomorrow and enjoy it today, if you need it right now, so then you kind of do in that circumstance. So just tell me Shavut and Mitzvah and I know the other two, no? It's a good question. Says Morris, if we're being 
totally legal over here in the legalistic sense. Give me the most novel case, the last cases where it's a full fledged mitzvah. Tell me you can't do hikdash, you can't do harami, you can't do arachin, and I'll know, of course, you, you can't climb on the tree, etc. All your own. Well, first and foremost, they're not all the same nature. Right, in other words, those are mishum shemeyichna. They're all shivut, but you need to know that the shivut exists. It's more, uh, it's more a, uh, a structural thing, how the hachamim are presenting this to you in the Mishnah. You can't really learn one from the other. It's not really a kol shekin or a kal because they're for different reasons. Those are because you might chop something off the tree. These are because you might write down, or mishum kar. And furthermore, it's also lozov avzo is a way of writing, it's a way of speaking as well. The president of the Knis might hate that I do this, but sometimes I'll build up a point and then I'll get to the main point. Why do you need to do that first point, right? It's a way that I warm the people up to it. You know, I think it's just a way of, of speaking and of writing. Okay, the last part of the Mishnah then said, you should know, it gave us a principle. There's no difference between Shabbat and Yom Tov aside from Ochel Nefesh. It happens to be Mishnah, Masech Megillah as well. Again, the statement is all laws are equivalent, are the same on Shabbat and Yom Tov, except for when you're producing food. We understand it's not only producing food, but the Gemara is really going to go at that sort of line. Just briefly, in the Mishnah, if you remember the Mishnah was a little bit, in terms of the way it was formulated, a little difficult to understand. Aiki Tao pointed this out, because the Mishnah starts, and it says, the statement is, if there's a rabbinic violation, restriction on Shabbat, you should know it's applicable as well to Yom Tov. It sounds like the vision is, we start with Shabbat, you should know if anything exists on Shabbat, it exists on Yom Tov as well. It's not the case, that's true, and then the Mishnah tells us that, but it sounds like the way we're going is if you want to study something, start with Shabbat and then apply it to Yom Tov. And then the final words in the Mishnah were a little bit funny. The final words on the Mishnah are, Kol elu biyom tov amru. All these things were said on Yom Tov. Kal Shabbat, certainly on Shabbat. Where, where do you want me to start studying this? You start off, you said, study Shabbat and you'll know Yom Tov. And then you conclude, you said, study Yom Tov and Kol Shekin Shabbat. Where did the rabbi state this? So this is a question Ike asked me. I looked it up afterwards and Yam Shel Shilomo, Rabbi Shilomo Luria Maharshal asked this question. He suggests, it's a, it's a suggestion, he suggests it goes like this. Fundamentally what the rabbis are telling you in the first part of the Mishnah is that all the laws were structured as such. It started with Shabbat. That's what they focused primarily on. And then they said, and it all to Yom Tov. However, when they wrote it down, when they taught it, they didn't necessarily teach it in the context of Shabbat. They taught these laws in the context of Yom Tov. And then they said, oh my goodness, by the way, you should know, oh, apply that back to Shabbat. In other words, fundamentally, it started with Shabbat. The way in which they taught it was from Yom Tov. So the final words in the Mishnah are, you didn't find these laws in the context of Shabbat? By the way, of course they apply in Shabbat. So it's, yes, the focus is Shabbat. The way in which it was brought forth was through Yom Tov. So then they look backwards and say, so now look into Shabbat and apply it accordingly. It's a little bit quote-unquote sloppy. It's Torah It's the way our oral tradition developed. So they tell us the principle was Shabbat was our focus. Understand Yom Tov, so to speak, as a derivative of that. However, sometimes we only said the laws on Yom Tov. Apply it accordingly to Shabbat. Okay, but says the Gemara now in the last narrow line, the Gemara begins with that word, which means we're asking a contradiction. We're going to question this statement in our Mishnah from... Ironically, the, the last Mishnah, the first Mishnah in the Pedic, indeed. 
it's not so, so long ago, though it might feel that way. The first Mishan the Pedic started with Mashilin. that word, Mishilin, or Mashilin, remember that word? And we said there are four versions of the word, and so on and so forth. Anyway, that word Mashilin meant you can lower fruits from the roof to the bottom of your house, provided that it's the, the hole in your roof. Remember that case? And not going around. Now the Mishnah importantly said this is true on Yom Tov, but not on Shabbat. Blatant contradiction. You started the Pedic, the first Mishnah, and you told me, here's a law which applies leniency to Yom Tov, not to Shabbat. Too much Torah, too much effort on Shabbat. On Yom Tov, it's permitted. And then the next Mishnah says, by the way, you should know everything on Shabbat is equivalent to Yom Tov. What are you talking about? They're not equivalent. You told me there's a leniency in one that there's not there, except for if you're eating it. I'm not eating those fruits. They were drying on my roof. I'm just protecting them from the rain. A blatant contradiction from one line to the next. That's the question of the Gemara. It says the Gemara, Ureminu, Mashilin derich aruva biyom tova, valo Shabbat. Those are the first words in our Pedic. We learned them just yesterday, kind of. On where it said, you allowed to do this on Yom Tov, not on Shabbat. Amar of Yosef, <coughs> Rav Yosef resolves this seeming contradiction that our Mishnah says everything on Yom Tov is the same as on Shabbat, everything on Shabbat is the same as on Yom Tov, except for, but what about this exception? La Kashya, there's no contradiction. Ha Ezer, Ha Yoshua. He suggests that although the Mishnayot don't. We rarely follow Rabili Ezer, says, uh, says Eli. Why do we rarely follow him? Remember, Rabili Ezer is considered Shemuti, which means either he was excommunicated or he was an adherent of Beit Shammai. It's true. Whatever statement uh, we're now going to attribute to Rabili Ezer, says Eli, we probably shouldn't be following La Halakha. Rabili Ezer is not a mainstream opinion when it comes to uh, many of his statements. Indeed. Keep in mind, we're going to have a contradiction over here. We're going to have to choose one over the other. So it means Rabbi Le'ezer, who predictably is going to be the more stringent opinion, is going to be the opinion that we're not accepting. So the suggestion of the Gemara just already at this point, before we see who they are and what they said in order to apply it, goes as follows. Rabbi Le'ezer says that not everything which applies to Yom Tov applies to Shabbat and Shabbat to Yom Tov. Rabbi Yoshua made the statement in our past, in, in the Rabbi Yoshua, in the first Mishnah set, Excuse me. Rabbi Eliezer says everything that applies to Shabbat applies to Yom Tov as a stringency. Rabbi Hoshua was the opinion in our first Mishnah which said, by the way, there are more leniencies on Yom Tov than on Shabbat. Where do we find their opinions? Elsewhere, Ditanya and the Beraita provides the context for that. Here's the circumstance. <clears throat> There's a pit in your backyard, along the road, I don't know, in your pasture, and you had uh, some animals which were grazing outside. Two fell in, the mother and the child. Now the halakha is the mother and child, you're not allowed to slaughter on one day. You can't enjoy the meat from both of them on one day. It's the halakha from the Torah for one reason or another. You know you're not saving your life, he's going to be fine. It's not about that. Ultimately speaking, says Jared, they will live. It'll be a disturbance to your day. You'll have to look into the pit and make sure everything's okay and give them food and all that sort of business. It might, it might partially, it might. Um, and ultimately speaking, furthermore, the only, reason, the only reason to prohibit pulling them out, you're not climbing on them, you're not using them, the only reason to prohibit is because it's an uh, extra activity. It's it's uh, exerting myself too much. So here's the situation. If it was two random animals, I could imagine, I'll pull them out, I'll say, I'm going to slaughter one of them. It's Yom Tov. But over here, 
it's, it's a child and its mother. I can't slaughter both. I can't, slaughter, I can't say I'm going ch- to pick them out and I'll, you, you can't say that I might slaughter both. What's the halacha going to be in such a circumstance? Because I have any sword to slaughter both. That's right. So as there is, you, you could, you could, so, so Alan's suggesting I'll pull a, maybe a sketch or something like that. I'll pull them both out and then choose one ultimately. But the problem is, you couldn't, you have to look at, well, let's see. Well, let's see what you do in such a circumstance. Before we jump to it, So now you know what those words are. Let's just borrowing the words of the Torah. It and its child. Now let us slaughter it once. Now, not about slaughter, they fell into a pit. What do you do? Rabbi Eliezer Omer, Tarishon al Says here's what you're allowed to do. Nothing more than the following. Pull out one and slaughter and enjoy it. You're allowed to do so. Otherwise, it sounds like, by the way, you're not allowed to pull it out. The other one, leave it in, Oselo Parnasa. Parnasa means mizonot. You give it food in its place. Drop some food in, watch over it. Over there. It's going to be a little annoying, maybe a lot annoying over the course of Yom Tov, but you can't pull them both out. It'll be the Ezer, the stringent opinion, who's stating that even though it's Yom Tov, even though we maybe have, by the way, our first Mishnah, permissibilities, if it's going to ruin my day, the rain's going to fall on it. Nonetheless, in this circumstance, says Rabbi Eliezer, and by extension, we're assuming he would disagree with the first Mishnah in terms of lowering the fruit. Not allowed to. You do what's necessary for your consumption right now. Nothing more, nothing at all. Rabbi Yoshua says, pull the first one up and say, I might slaughter this one. You know something? That other one looked like it might have a little bit more meat. The other one looked a little bit better. Ha'arama means you're clever, means you're sly, means you're conniving, uh, you're tricky. We had ha'arama by the birds on the roof, identical to this case, that's right. Uma'ale hasheni, that says Rabbi Yoshua, and then bring the second one up, exactly as we did earlier. Look at it, decide, and then, then you choose one over, or, or the other. In other words, this mahlok between Yoshua and Rabbi Yoshua, the Gemara in turn is suggesting, is dependent upon, well, everything we've learned until now. This past Mishnah, which said Shabbat and Yom Tov are identical, would be the opinion of Rabbi Yoshua. No playing games over here. You're not allowed to do ha'arama, you're not allowed to, if it's exertion on Shabbat, it's exertion on Yom Tov, not allowed to do. Rabbi Yoshua alternatively says, no, it's Yom we want you to enjoy the day. Yeah, pull it up. You got to sketch it a little bit. You can't just pull it up and then pull another one. And as a result, says the Gemara that our first Mishnah is Rabbi Yoshua, this past Mishnah is Rabbi Yehazir. Question. The, animals like the assumption is the animals are not going to be in danger. You could put food in. Yeah, you can't just leave it out. To, you, no, you can't just bring him up. You can't just bring him up because the point is he will be living in there if you give him food. You're not allowed to kill him. Provided that. I mean, that's what Abelia is. If you saw it, I had a broken leg or something like that. Pull him out. Yes. Yes. Says Jesse, this is the Rabili Ezer. We we know and we know him too well. This is the Rabili Ezer. The Rabili Ezer who had the, the students studying with him. We learned this earlier in the Masechet, and the gluttonous ones walked out in his eyes, and etc. Yeah, etc. Ultimately speaking, oh, he does accept that we're eating on Yom Tov. He does, but fundamentally, Rabbi Eliezer's mindset is Kulola Hashem. 
more so, actually. The Shor be able to grab up two Rabbi Eliezer because Rabbi Yoshua's Mahalach, the way he's approaching it, is saying, I'm going to get the best one for Hashem on this day. Interesting. Why? Because ultimately speaking, it's going into your sure belly. Sure it is, but the reason I'm doing it is because I'm trying to get the best. I got what you're saying. But Rabbi Eliezer, if we're narrow, he was narrow in his story. He said, if you're not studying Torah, you're feeding yourself. You're right. We ultimately speaking try to, and we've envisioned this as broader, and let's bring it all into our Avadat Hashem. But that was the Rabbi Eliezer. So at this point in the Gemara, just to restate it, the Gemara, again, we're going to deal with this. We'll go onward, and the Gemara will we'll disprove and then bring it back, etc. The Gemara is suggesting this is really what stands at the core of the Mishnah that we just learned, the stringent one, Rabbi Eliezer, and the first Mishnah, the lenient one, Rabbi Yoshua, with regards to equating or not.